Amen. Well, as they get situated in the back, we'll continue on in our gathered worship service. I'll pray and then read our scripture passage for tonight. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you once again. And as we come now to the time where we hear your word preached, we remember your word that says that you esteem the one who is humble and contrite in spirit, the one who trembles at your word. Father, I pray that each one of us tonight would have that humble, contrite spirit, trembling at your word, rejoicing in your word, having eyes to see the glory of our Savior Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Our scripture reading is Psalm 150. That's found on page 8 of your worship guides. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can you think of Can you think of a novel that you've read multiple times? A novel that you've read more than once, a beloved novel that you've read over and over again? Some books are so good that they're worth reading again and again. Over the last couple months, I reread the book Little Pilgrim's Progress by Helen Taylor. Maybe some of you have read that. You might know what it's like to reread a beloved book. You know the characters, the plot line, you know how the story ends. And that was my experience as I reread this book, Little Pilgrim's Progress. I knew that Christian would be rescued from the slough of despond. I knew that Christian would lose his burden at the foot of the cross. I knew that he would be freed from Doubting Castle. And I knew how the story would end. And if you haven't read it, I won't spoil the ending for you, but you can probably guess how it ends. We know how our favorite stories end. But as Christians, how, how will your story end? Your story Do you know how your story will end? Do you know the last chapter of your life in Christ? As we turn to Psalm 150, we see that ending. We find the end of a story that God himself is writing. Psalm 150 shouts it out. Let everything that is breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is where Christians are heading. This is the happiest of all endings. We will praise God in his presence forever. This psalm pictures for us the final chapter of our lives in Christ. And it's an eternal chapter. Not only that, but this certain glorious future makes all the difference today. That's what we'll see as we study Psalm 150. As we begin, let's think a little bit about the context of this psalm. Over the last couple months, we've been studying through the last five psalms of the Psalter. So Psalms 146 through the end. 
Psalm 150. Each one of these psalms, maybe you knew this, but each one of these psalms is bookended by a call to praise the Lord. You may remember that the phrase praise the Lord in Hebrew means hallelujah. So praise the Lord. When you read that in these psalms, that's that's hallelujah. And if you go back and look, you'll see that every psalm begins and ends with a call to praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's how each of these psalms ends and begins. But we see something different when we get to Psalm 150. What do we discover? Well, this psalm not only begins and ends with a call to praise the Lord, but a call to praise the Lord is found on every line. Every line of this psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise Him. Praise Him. We find it 13 times. 13 times. So, Psalm 150 is like, if you're familiar with the Hallelujah Chorus, well, this is the original Hallelujah Chorus. This is like the mother of all doxologies. This is the climactic psalm of praise. That's what we're coming to in Psalm 150. So let's look at this psalm together. We'll see that it answers four questions. It's a short psalm, but it it packs a punch. It, It lifts some heavy weights here. It answers four questions. First, where? Where is God to be praised? We find the answer in verse 1. It says, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. In this verse, sanctuary could refer to God's dwelling place on earth. So as you read that verse again, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. That's saying that God is to be praised here on earth, and he's to be praised in the mighty expanse above us. In other words, God is to be praised everywhere, everywhere, here on earth and in the heavens. God is to be praised everywhere. As someone put it really well, his glory, God's glory, fills the universe. His praise should do no less. His glory fills the universe and his praise should do no less. Where is God to be praised? He's to be praised everywhere, everywhere. Second is the question, why? Why is God to be praised? And we find the answer in verse 2. Verse 2 says, Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. In other words, praise God for what He has done, His mighty deeds, and also praise Him for who He is, His excellent greatness. What are the mighty deeds of the Lord? There are many. We could sum them up as his mighty deeds of creation and of providence and especially of salvation. So as we think about salvation, what what do we mean by that? Well, we mean that before time even began, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit chose and planned and purposed to save a people for himself. The Father said, I choose to save Katie." and Jacob, and Josiah, and Lonnie, and Haven. The Father said, I choose to save them. They will be saved. And the Son said, I will accomplish their salvation. I will do it. I will become a man. 
and live a perfect life and die on the cross and rise and come again for them. And the Holy Spirit said, I will take that salvation and apply it right to them. They will be saved. We praise God for his mighty and merciful salvation. We praise him for that. We rejoice in that tonight. We also praise God for who he is, for who he is in himself. The greatness of his greatness, we could say. It's impossible for us to overstate the greatness of God. We can't speak too highly of him. We can't outdo ourselves. The greatness of his greatness. So that's where to praise God and why to praise him. Third is the question, how? How should we praise God? And the answer is found in verses 3 to 5. These verses say... Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So verses 3 to 5 lists all of these instruments. Do you feel the, the excitement, the overwhelming excitement of these verses? There's an exuberance, a loud celebration, an unrestrained joy being pictured in these verses. They list many instruments. These verses show us many instruments to to tell us how God is to be praised. How is he to be praised? God is to be praised with everything we've got. Everything. Bring out all of the instruments. He is worthy of our praise. Now let me illustrate. Let me illustrate this point uh, with a personal, a personal anecdote. So my family, like the Robinson family, goes to Ocean City, New Jersey, every every summer for for vacation. And as we walk the boardwalk, we often find musicians scattered throughout the the boardwalk playing playing their instrument. Usually it's one performer. Sometimes it's two or three. Sometimes a small crowd might gather, and that's fun. You're walking down the boardwalk, eating Johnson's popcorn, and some people are playing music, and you can stop if you want. You can just keep walking. It's an entertaining, casual, non-committal kind of experience. It's fun. Well, compare that experience with sitting in a concert hall, listening to the Hallelujah Chorus. There you are in the concert hall. There is the full orchestra and the full choir. And you hear music that is overwhelming. The glory, the intensity, the loudness, the gladness overwhelms you. It, It makes sense that we often stand when we hear the hallelujah chorus. That's the portrait that this psalm is painting for us. Not the walking on the boardwalk, yeah, this is, this is fun, this is, okay, I'm, I'm more interested in going to that shop down the boardwalk. No, this is all-encompassing. Let everything that is breath, bring out all the instruments, stop and stand and worship God. That's what Psalm 150 is painting for us. God is to be praised with everything, everything we've got. And lastly is the question, Who? Who is to praise the Lord? 
We've answered where and why and how, but who should praise the Lord? And we find the answer in verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Very important question for you. Do you have breath tonight? If you're here, you do. You You have breath. And you are called by God to praise Him. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let's think about this some more. As we think about the questions that this psalm answers, how how are we doing at praising the Lord? How are you doing at praising the Lord? He is to be praised everywhere for what he has done and for who he is. He is to be joyfully praised with everything and by everyone. How do you measure up to this standard, this vision of praise? Praise the Lord everywhere. If you're like me, you often make exceptions. I'm happy to praise God in some places, but not all places. Do you praise the Lord literally everywhere? Everywhere. In every room of your home. Wherever you go in your neighborhood. In, every, in each one of your classes, every field, every court, at every park, in every car ride, at every desk, in every meeting, in every relationship. The point is that no place is exempt or soundproofed from the universal call to praise the Lord. Literally everywhere. No place is soundproofed. We can't There are no sound-canceling headphones too, too big, too powerful to cancel out this call to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord everywhere. Do you praise Him? What He has done and who He is. This psalm, if you notice, it's relentlessly God centered. It is so God centered. At no point does the psalm ever praise us, it never praises you and me. Well, so often, I find myself wanting to slip in some praise for myself. I'm sure you can all relate. My version of the psalm goes like this. Praise him, praise him, praise him. Okay, praise Colin, praise Colin. Praise him, praise him, praise him. We may fool others, but we can't fool the Lord. We can't fool the Lord who knows and sees our very hearts. Do you praise the Lord with everything? Do you praise him with committed gladness? As we see in Psalm 150, this is the, this is the warranted response. This is, this is what the glory of our God calls for. Joyful, pure praise is the proper, proper response and expression of our faith. And if you like me, if you're like me, then your praise is often less than 100%. It's often less than pure and lacking in joy. God is also to be praised by everyone. By everyone. By every person. Every woman and man. Every girl and boy. How much do we, how much do you long for unbelievers to praise the Lord? Does it grieve your heart Not just that someone isn't saved, but that God isn't getting the glory that he deserves from that person. 
Does that grieve your heart? God isn't getting the glory that he deserves from unbelievers. God is to be praised by everyone. So how are you doing at praising the Lord? How do you measure up to this astounding vision of praise? The truth, the truth is that we all fall short. None of us praises God perfectly. This psalm should convict us of our sin. It should. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Reflect on this psalm and be convicted. Be convicted of your sin. How do you fail to praise the Lord as he deserves? How do we fail to praise the Lord as he deserves? But this psalm does more than convict us of our sin. It does that, but it does more. It directs our hearts to hope, not in ourselves and in our ability to to praise the Lord perfectly, but in Christ, who praised the Lord everywhere as a man. Who praised the Lord for his mighty deeds and greatness? Who praised the Lord with everything in him and desired all peoples to praise? In other words, who conformed to the perfect standard of praise lined out for us in Psalm 150? As you know, Jesus Christ did. Jesus, God made flesh. While on earth, think about it, Jesus was the perfect worshiper. He was a flesh and blood Jew. He went to the temple. He went to the synagogues and praised God. And he did so perfectly. Jesus is the perfect worshiper. He praised his father in public. He praised him in private. And he did so perfectly. And as sinners, as all of us here tonight, we need his righteousness. We need his record of perfect praise. We need someone to stand in our place who has done it all including praise the Lord in our behalf. But we not only need his righteousness, we not only need his perfect record, we also need someone to pay the penalty for our sin. As I said earlier, God's word says that death is sin's penalty. That's what sin deserves, including our failure to praise God as he ought, as we ought to praise him. Death is sin's penalty. But Jesus... The God-man to whom all praise is due, this one humbled himself. Jesus paid our penalty by dying on the cross in our place as our perfect substitute. So friends, this, this is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ perfectly praised his Father while on earth. Because he lived that righteous life and died and rose We are saved. Everyone who puts his faith in Jesus Christ is forgiven and declared righteous by the Father. The penalty has been paid in full, and we are freed to shout out God's praises. What is praise? Someone puts it well. He says, praise is our glad response to God's saving love. That's what praise is. Praise is our glad response to God's saving love. And that's the response that we see mapped out for us in Psalm 150. That glad response to God's saving love. Everywhere, for what he has done, for who he is, with everything we've got, and with 
everyone. Praise the Lord. We all know how our favorite stories end. I loved rereading Little Pilgrim's Progress, and I knew how the story would end. We love rereading these beloved, great novels. We know how those endings, how those endings go. And Christian, what about your story? What about your life? What's the last chapter? Where is your life heading? Psalm 150 shows us. It shows us. It's not only the last psalm of the Psalter. It's not only Psalm 150 out of all of the ones that came before. It is that. But it's also showing us the last chapter of our lives and of all of human history. This is where life is going. This is where the story of human history is going. Psalm 150 shows us when Jesus Christ returns, there will be an eternal hallelujah. An eternal hallelujah. This psalm has 13 praise, praises to God. Praise and praise him. Well, eternity won't be long enough to sing God's praise. An eternal hallelujah. Psalm 150 is picturing that for us. It's showing us what's to come. And so as we think about our lives now as Christians, we lament now. But the day is coming when lament will turn to praise. Perfect praise. We suffer now, but one day suffering will give way to glory. We praise God imperfectly now, but the day is coming when we will perfectly praise God in His presence forever. Everyone will confess, willingly or unwillingly, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's where, that's where the grandest story is heading. Everyone confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. We wait for that eternal hallelujah. Christian, this is your hope. Praise the Lord. Amen.